Welcome to the Direct Farm Podcast, the go-to resource for farms across the U.S. looking to grow and manage their business. Tune in weekly to hear tips and tactics from our most successful farmers on how to increase sales, access more customers, and save time and money. We'll also speak with industry experts, business leaders, and partners to share the latest farm business trends selling direct to market. Welcome to the Direct Farm Podcast. We've got a great conversation for you today with one of my colleagues, Sky Hilliard, who is a farm onboarding manager here at Barn Door. Sky has literally helped hundreds of farms get started with Barn Door, prepping all their products for sale to prospective buyers across every channel, web, mobile, social, email, newsletters, and in person with the new Barn Door POS. Sky has worked with some of our most successful farms that run their businesses on Barn Door. So I'm looking forward to diving in today to our topic, which is the top five tactics to prep for the coming season. So regardless of your farm, there's some best practices that we're gonna learn today from Sky on getting set up for the coming season. Welcome Sky, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me in. Well, I'm really excited to dig in because you've gained a ton of experience during your tenure here at Barn Door. Maybe for those who are listening for the first time, it might be a little bit unfamiliar with, you know, Barn Door, the concept of a farm onboarding manager. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of briefly describe your role and responsibilities? What is it that you actually do here at Barn Door for farmers? Yeah, well, I think in a sentence, it is really getting the store set up, right? Um, it, it is introducing the platform, kind of walking th- people through the tools, how they're going to get more and more independent throughout the weeks of getting that store set up. And that's really, I, I call it talking about the bread and butter, which is the inventory and the fulfillment schedules, right? How are people going to get their products and yep. what are the products going to be? How are they priced? And then from there, it is kind of talking about some t- more tertiary things like getting customers added in and how to do that on the platform and then walk through buyer experience, order management, and just so you have a good exposure to um what it's going to be like existing on that store every day. Yeah, there's there's a lot of details there, right? Like oh, yeah. you know, managing a lot of orders. I mean, we have farms that do tens or hundreds of orders. We have farms that do thousands of orders every week, right? Yeah. But there's probably a lot of consistency regardless of your size. During your tenure here at Barney Door, I imagine you've worked with all kinds of types of farms, right? Mm-hmm. Proteins, produce, dairy, et cetera. So this guy, like you said, that's kind of the bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. What's one of the most unique types of farms that you've worked with? Uh, yeah, in, in, so I actually just started working with a farm that is doing a aquaponic setup, which is a, which differs from a hydroponic setup, and, and I'd have to do some Wikipedia reading to figure <laughs> out exactly what this is. Uh, but in incorporates fish into a hydroponic setup and, yeah. and I hadn't uh, worked with anybody um, and so he's he's selling produce and fish and even more interesting he's uh, working out of an old World War II mill I guess that, awesome. that they're rehabbing into a bunch of cool uh, like agricultural space so yeah that's cool I know aquaponic yeah. farmers are, are quite interesting well let's focus on kind of like we said bread and butter proteins produce and dairy farms represent yeah. probably 90% of the customers that we mm-hmm. work with here in the country uh, certainly that represents most of what people consume on a daily or weekly basis both as consumers and certainly as restaurants and, mm-hmm. and schools those types of things let's let's dive into some of the tactics here because I presume with your wealth of experience you've had, there's some real common best practices. So let's, yeah. let's, you've given me a breakdown here on the top five tactics to prep for the coming season. So let's start with this first tactic. You talked a little bit about store setup. That's the most important thing to get started. What does that actually entail? What does store setup mean when getting started as a farmer for the season? 
Primarily, it, it starts with your inventory, right? What is it you are going to be selling? We'll walk through that together and um, kind of talk about your quantities, your pricing, and just getting all of the fine details um, mm -hmm. nailed down for what it is you want to be selling. And uh, of course here, you know, in, in onboarding, we always kind of want to be collaborators and are going to kind of help you through some of the best practices with, with inventory and, and everything else that follows. Got it. And so in the inventory, I mean, farmers have products that are available at different times of the season. So associated mm -hmm. with the inventory, right? What's next? Because obviously if you're growing produce, mm -hmm. if you're a diversified operation, your produce might be on a different, you know, timing than perhaps yeah. your, your processing for your chickens or for your pigs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, and it's super important, especially for produce farms, which we're seeing a lot of now and CSAs, which is um, basically, if you're unfamiliar with the term CSA, it's just like a subscription, right? People... Uh, have different grow cycles, and it's important that our scheduling system can kind of um, cater to all of those different grow cycles. This is available right now, but it's not going to be available two months from now, mm -hmm. and our system does have the capacity to build that in so that you have to think about it once and set it up for the season, basically. So. Got it. So getting your inventory set up, getting schedules associated with those products yeah. based on their availability. And then what else here? I see you've also got listed customers and order reminders. What, obviously, everyone understands yeah. what a customer is, but why is it so important to upload customers into the system? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just really important to have people to email to remind them, hey, you got our CSA or you came and got some a la carte bundles from us last year. You enjoyed it. Come back and, and keep buying from us, right? Um, if they are already your customers, they've already enjoyed your products, they want to see those reminders and they want to be reminded um, mm -hmm. to, to come back and purchase. So uh, really important to be uploading those customers just to have that customer base and then be sending out order reminders from there. And oftentimes I know people have data from their customers all over the place. They yeah. might have it in their you know, email uh, <laughs> inbox and maybe they have it in some legacy POS device. Yeah. Uh, I know Google and Yahoo, Microsoft, they all automatically collect the data as well, right, mm -hmm. for you. So there's ways to kind of e export some of that data and pull it in, correct? Yeah, for sure. And it's really just going to be that one time, you know, that growing pain of getting the store set up where you're pulling your customers from wherever you have them, right? And a lot of people don't have the emails yet. They just need to convert phone numbers because they've been doing a lot of in-person yep. and kind of word of mouth sales, right? So converting those phone numbers into emails and doing one batch import from wherever you have contacts before and then getting them uploaded into the system so they're ready to go and then from there, it's easy to, to add new customers in one at a time and just be passively and automatically collecting customers. Got it. Got it. So get your store set up, <clears throat> inventory schedules, pulling your customers in, and then setting up these automated order reminders. So step two you've got labeled here is kind of the basics for e-commerce. What are the basics? How do you think about the basics for e-commerce today and what buyers are looking for? Yeah, well, I think about it in a few different categories here, right? Um, category one being packaging, and then we have pricing, subscriptions, and then point of sale. So, so just starting with the first one, packaging here, um, that, that's not just the packaging of your products, right? Um, which you should keep simple, keep that cost down. Um, uh, some people will feature branding, which is always nice, but definitely don't get too fancy. Of course, unless you're shipping, you'll have to include a little bit of packaging to make that mm -hmm. a possibility. But, um, but really, uh, w when I talk about packaging, is how are you going to be packaging and bundling your products, right? Maybe it's not the best idea to list 
a hundred different cuts of beef on your store. <laughs> Maybe it's better to have a. I don't know if I could name a hundred cuts of beef, honestly, right? <laughs> from time Sometimes to time. it feels like I'll get there to being able to name a hundred, but I still see stuff that, that I don't recognize. And, um, it, and there's just a lot, right? And so if I'm being overwhelmed by it, when I'm looking at it, a buyer is gonna be overwhelmed mm -hmm. by it, right? Because mm -hmm. I do this eight hours a day. Um, and, and so it is important, we find, to be focusing on your revenue drivers, be featuring things that are, are really your key products at the top of your page, marking them as high priority, uh, and also try and make them bundles, try and make them something that is a 10 pound variety box, right? and just build that in as kind of key items that you mm -hmm. wanna focus on. So a good example of that, I know many times, uh, I'll use myself as an example, I don't know 100 cuts of beef, right? Yeah. But I certainly know what a, a ribeye is, right? And mm -hmm. I definitely know I like a filet. Mm -hmm. So do you suggest that they should be putting those up as individual products, listing all these specialty products, or you mentioned bundles, are those good yeah. things to entice buyers into buying a bundle? Do you feature those products as, hey, you get a 10 pound box and then you get the ribeye or something like that? Yeah, yeah, typically I will say you wanna feature that stuff inside of a bundle, right? Got um, it. it. You know, people do know the certain things that they're looking for and want, and it's always good to have those things scattered throughout, right? But it's so often I'll talk to farms that say, oh, well, we sold out of all of our ribeyes or all of our fillets. Now we have all the stuff that people don't quote unquote want as much. Or know. Or yeah. know as much yeah, is, is exactly. really what they're saying. Um, yeah. So putting that into a bundle and putting those bundles into sizes that are digestible and make sense to different household sizes makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense for what we see works well at Barn to Door. So we always kind of incorporate that into the strategy of how we're gonna be selling our products. Yeah, you mentioned household sizes. I mm -hmm. think that's a good one, right? Because I love all the you know farm websites that we build at. I was just looking at one yesterday. Yeah. And of course, you know, the farmer and his wife, they had six kids, right? Mm -hmm. And so they probably have a chest freezer, but you know, I know most people in America don't have a chest freezer, yeah, right? So yeah, exactly. tell me a little bit more about it when you talk about different sizes, like what, what should a farmer be thinking about in terms of the packaging sizes? Well, like you said, and something that I always bring up is the chest freezer thing. So if you can sell to a two person household, a three or four person household, uh, and then maybe even a large household, you open yourself up to just a much bigger market, right, than selling um, in huge bulk quantities like mm -hmm. a side of beef. Um, it's important to diversify a bit, but also not be um, just selling in, in huge quantities, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know a third of Americans live alone, right? So yeah, and all of those people yeah. who live alone probably just have a, a regular freezer, right? And, so and, a ten-pound box is perfect, but they're probably not getting a forty-pound box. Yeah, anymore. and alongside of that, even if you did have a chest freezer, a lot of people um, don't have the finances, right, to to be buying a massive quantity of, of a certain product. And also, people's diets don't consist of just a single thing, right? Yes. They yeah. want to be able to not just buy beef, but also incorporate chicken and their produce, and yep. and, and so. Um, it's important to kind of think about that and meet your buyer where they're at and kind of always consider their expectations as they're going into a purchase. Good, good point. Tell me a little bit about pricing. Mm -hmm. So I know many farmers today have products that might be, you know, variable in price, mm -hmm. right? And sell by weight. And I know those are key features that we have and we can support, but what do you see as the best practice for mm -hmm. those farmers that have high volume with us? What are they doing today? Yeah, well, uh, the sell by weight feature is it's critical to have in the store. And, you know, because we're built for farms, it is wonderful to have that as an option. But what we see is 
is convenience is king, right? And if you're charging flat prices, our fixed pricing model makes a lot of sense. So, so for the majority of your products, I try to get people to go to that flat price model. Sell by way is great uh, in person. It makes a lot more sense, but flat prices just makes it easy at checkout for your buyer. It makes it easy after checkout for you as the seller too, because you're not having to go into the system and charge a final weight for every individual cut you might be selling or or whatever it is you're selling. Yeah. Um, and your buyer's not going to be paying a deposit and then have to come back later and see another charge that came in through Correct. their email, right? Because right. they actually found out that the stake was 1.2 pounds rather than one pound. Yeah, you know? it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Even from a time and a labor perspective yeah. for the farmer to have to go in and reconcile the difference versus- If you're trying to grow and scale, definitely yeah. a, a fixed price makes more sense. Yeah. Whereas if you're selling, truly are selling quarter, half or whole side of beef or pig, what have you. Then it makes see it a ton of sense to be yes. selling variable pricing. Yeah. Yep. Or or high dollar per pound or even per ounce items like a, like a Wagyu beef might make more sense to yes. do like a variable pricing, right? Heritage turkeys too. I know we see this all the time yeah. too, right? Very, very pricey. Mm -hmm. People, Something that people are willing to pay a premium price for, right? And of course, the farmer yep. wants to make every dollar they can to the ounce, right? Um, let's talk a little bit about subscriptions. You mentioned mm -hmm. that earlier. Um, it's kind of a really big topic, I know, amongst many of the farmers we chat with today, and about a yeah. third of all of our volume today are subscriptions. Why are they such a big deal? And why are buyers asking for them? Yeah, well, buyers, they like subscriptions because their lives are busy. They like to set it and walk away and know that it is taken care of, it's dealt with, it's gonna auto draw out of their account, right? And especially with food. Um, People like to be able to secure their food. And I know the last few years, that's kind of been in the consciousness, right? So yeah. um, so being able to uh, to set up a subscription for food and not just your entertainment or your music or whatever makes a lot of sense for people uh, at, at a really increasing rate, I think. Yeah, and I don't think anybody's walked into a store and see, seen store shelves that are completely full, right? In fact, just the opposite. I think mm -hmm. we're all seeing some scarcity on store shelves these days. Mm -hmm. uh, and that creates a lot of concern around food security, food scarcity. Uh, and you mm -hmm. want to make sure your family's fed, right? I, I get it. Having those subscriptions has mm -hmm. certainty, both in terms of availability and pricing, right? Because we've also seen inflation hit some prices as well. Right? Yeah. And I would say that, you know, historically buying direct from a farmer hasn't been the easiest prospect, right? And if you are including subscriptions to make it easier for your buyers and reduce the amount of friction for people, um, then it's just it just makes it easier. And less and less people are going to have excuses to not be buying fresh, quality, healthy products, right? That, that's, a, that's a great deal. And I know mm -hmm. for farmers too, this helps them build recurring revenue. Uh, everyone loves this idea of having certainty yep. of farm revenue coming in every month. But what if I'm a farmer that doesn't have a product that's available year round, right? I totally yeah. get it. You know, if you sell eggs or you've got pasture poultry and you know exactly what your grow and harvest time is, you know, you can produce those items year round. But what if I'm a produce farmer and I've only got products that are available for yeah. four to six months of the year? I mean. Can, can we support something like that here at Barn New Door? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ongoing is very simple. Every fulfillment, it's going to auto draw, but we have uh, we have our seasonal subscription model that we can build in. So for produce farms, which we were just talking about, we have a lot of produce farms starting up and um, you know, your summer products are not going to be like your fall products and same with like flower farms and stuff like that. So. 
we have the ability to build in kind of a, a time-gated, hey, you're going to get 10 months of this or you're going to get four months of this, right? Uh, we have the ability to build in subscriptions that have an expiration date. Yeah, basically. there's a duration, yeah. right? I love the flower farm example. I know yeah. uh, last year I got my wife a, a flower subscription mm-hmm. for Mother's Day. That was a real hit, by the way. Yeah, and fresh flowers yeah. deliver every week. I'm sure for, I got that for 12 weeks. That was great, great investment. I'm sure. Uh, and then lastly, you mentioned point of sale. You yeah. know, um, why is point of sale such an important part to be thinking about? You know, most farmers today, when they're thinking about selling online, typically view their online sales very different than their in-person sales. Mm-hmm. Um, tell, tell me a little bit more. I know we just debuted a point of sale, but why is this such a big deal for a farmer? Yeah, well, the amazing thing about our point of sale is if you're here with Barn to Door and you've already built your store out with one of us uh, in the onboarding side, um, then all of your inventory is going to be built into the point of sale when you're at your farmer's market or your farm store, right? Um, It's already going to be there for you and inventory is going to draw down. You don't have to have a separate merchant account, right? There's a lot of advantages to having the point of sale system through Barn to Door. And it makes it easier to do those variable weight, mm-hmm. uh, price per pound sales um, at a farmer's market or your farm stand. It makes it a lot easier because you're just doing it right there and plugging in the final value. There's no e-commerce steps that make a little bit more friction there. Right? Yeah, so from what I understand, you literally could have a product that's fixed price mm-hmm. online that somebody's buying a whole chicken, for instance, for yep. we'll call it 30 bucks for a medium-sized chicken. Yeah. But if you're in person, literally one toggle of the button, you can immediately flip it over to charge to the ounce, right? You could weigh the bird and charge 3.4 pounds or 4.2 pounds, and it'll just automatically calculate the price. Yeah, the exactly. Whereas it makes sense on in e-commerce to not do all the extra steps that come with variable pricing, um, it, right there in person, you can flip that toggle and, and just charge them by the pound because it makes sense to get an exact price in person if it's really no extra friction to it. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense, and yeah. it's almost like the meat counter or the butcher experience. Yeah, when yeah, it's up. a lot more like yeah. that experience make, that people make it very are very easy. But the best with. part about it, all coming out of a single inventory, single merchant account. Yeah. So one of the other big ones you you laid out here uh, was email collection. Yeah. I hear a lot about email, right? And so, sometimes farmers get a little apprehensive about email. They don't like the idea of getting spammed or spamming their customers. What yeah. have you? Why is email such a big deal? Yeah, well, I think just to talk about uh, they don't want to be bothered by emails. They don't like getting emails themselves. I mean, I think the difference is you don't want to get emails from huge corporations that are spamming you all the time. Um, The difference is you are a local farm in their community, and it is just not the same. People want to hear about you. They want to support you. No matter who you are, it feels good to support a local business. It feels good to um, be connected to your food, too. So being able to keep up that contact with your buyers is, uh, you know, is hugely important, and your buyers actually want it. It's a different thing than getting spam marketing for cheap clothing and stuff, right? How do farmers go out and collect emails, right? So we talked a little bit about sometimes they can export things from Mm -hmm. their, their Google or Yahoo accounts that they may already have, but... If they're meeting somebody for the first time at a farmer's market, yeah. you know, stopping and actually writing down on a clipboard it kind of takes some extra steps, right? Or, you know, mm-hmm. putting up a flyer and asking people to write their name on a flyer at a coffee shop or at a church or school takes work. Are there some, are there some tactics here that a farmer can do to make it more turnkey? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could have a QR code. I mean, you can still have a sheet where people who are going to want to write their email addresses, you can have that there and right next to that sheet or on the same sheet even, you have a QR code that people can scan and then it mm -hmm. just jumps them right into a page that we've built. So mm -hmm. you can you can get that email added right into your list. So yeah, I mean, there's ways to, to go about it and having a QR code set up at your farm stand or at the market. It's just a great way to speed that along. I know, like you said, many folks really are enthusiastic about supporting local farmers, right? Yeah. And so this notion of who is my local farmer? Like you ask the average person on the street, most people can't name five local farms. Mm -hmm. They can all name five local microbreweries, right? And they're gonna yeah. prefer to buy from a local microbrewery versus yeah. buying a Budweiser, mm -hmm. you know? But, you know, I, I think if people have greater awareness, like you said, yeah. right, and, and getting these types of flyers, getting things posted out and available, you know, wherever your local loop is, mm -hmm. you know, is a big deal, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Schools, churches, wherever you're going to on a regular basis, wherever your buyers are going to on a regular basis, it's important to kind of plug into those and just kind of connect. And I know that's not a natural thing for a lot of farms, but if if you're really here to grow and, and start getting your, your business in, in good shape, then it's an important thing to be out there collecting those emails. And people want that option, right? It's uh, it's something that everybody wants. They want to be more connected to their food and, yeah. and they want to hear from you. They want to know that that option is out there. Um, I think thus far, it's just something that a lot of people don't know. They can be buying directly from farms, right? Big time, I know, and you, you yeah. can drive 45 miles outside pretty much any major city and you can find a farm, right? There are people <laughs> oh, yeah. that are there, but again, oh, yeah. people in these urban and suburban areas don't know those people, like you said. It's, mm -hmm. it's an awareness problem, not a demand problem. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's say I'm that farmer, I've taken your advice, I go through, I set these things up as part of getting ready for the season, mm -hmm. start capturing all these emails, now what, right? How, how often yeah. should I be emailing people? Like I know sometimes farmers don't want to perceive that they're intruding on people. So like, yeah. should I be emailing every day, once a month? Like what, what do you find is the happy medium? Yeah, well, I, part of that is kind of up to you, right? How much do you want to be spending uh, time doing this? But also it's important to be doing those regular check-ins, right? You don't mm -hmm. want to overstimulate people and then thus annoying them. Uh, but also you don't want to fall out of that top of mind, that coveted top of mind brand status, mm -hmm. right? Once a week, um, once every other week, we find to be a pretty good cadence. And you can do any number of things with those emails too, right? Um, these are the three E's that our yeah. account managers always talk about, educate, entertain, and and, and then you know redirect people to your e-commerce, right? Yeah. So you can do a number of things uh, with that newsletter. And it's hugely important because 80% of their sales is usually driven from a lot of that email marketing. That's pretty amazing, right? Yeah. I think it's people fail to realize that email today is an active form of marketing. Right? Yeah. Social is more passive, right? It's kind of a yes. lean back approach, whereas in, in email newsletter is really critical, right? Mm -hmm. People are looking for that because they don't know what to buy from your farm if yeah. they're not aware of what's available, right? So I imagine too that is as part of that, you know, getting a, an email newsletter enables a farmer to kind of keep them apprised of you know, things that are happening on the farm, like yep. you said, like keeping them uh, educated about what's happening, mm -hmm. but more importantly, calling their calling their attention to the uh, products that are now available for purchase, right? Yeah. Because it's gonna be different in March, right? Versus May yeah. or June or September, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and you want those little e-commerce benefits to some of those newsletters. Hey, mm -hmm. here's a promo code. Hey, you are the first people that are seeing that we now have a restock of X, Y, or Z product, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, it's functionally important and it just helps you be 
more connected to that buyer and that buyer is more connected to you and you have that trustworthy brand status. So that's great. Yeah. And for the for those of you, again, who are listening, who may not be a Barn Door customer today, one thing that uh, Sky and our onboarding managers do as well is, is they, they can link that QR code. For, so the first time somebody signs up for your newsletter, that will automatically <clears throat> send them kind of a welcome newsletter, right? We see that yep. to be pretty successful, don't we? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just getting people those promo codes, getting that welcome email, right? There's a reason that every website you ever go to does that, that email sign up form. Yep. It's because it's hugely important. And and uh, and the same thing goes here when you're, you're selling direct. So yeah, big time. All right. Well, lastly, let's talk a little bit about social media. Well, I know we work with a lot of, you know, farms that have like some massive social media followers, mm-hmm. you know, with like yeah, tens yeah. of thousands of people. Most farmers I perceive, you know, find social media be a little bit of a pain in the butt, right? You know, it's kind of a, a little bit of an afterthought or something yep. they feel like they have to do. Like how important, first off, is it to have presence on social media mm-hmm. uh, and what should, what should it look like? Yeah, well, you say social media is a more um, kind of passive form of things here. Um, it, it's still important to not be neglecting any of these channels, right? So Mm -hmm. you want your website and you want it to look good on mobile and you want your email newsletters to be going out um, for buyers who have found you already, right? But also it's important to be kind of findable on social uh, Mm -hmm. as a business. So Mm -hmm. you really don't want to neglect any of these channels and uh, and it's good to at least have a presence there, Mm -hmm. yeah. Got it. So how, how often should people be posting on social media and is, are there some tactics that they can they, they can do to simplify their social media engagement? Because I, I myself, you know, while I've got a Facebook and Instagram yeah. handle, it's like reality is, is like I'm not some teeny bopper that's on there <laughs> four hours a day, right? I don't have yeah. time, right? Yeah, uh, But for I sure. check in a few times a week. Like how often should a farmer be posting? Yeah, and, and, and it can feel cumbersome. I mean, you're a farmer. You didn't necessarily sign up to be growing your brand on social media, right? But but there are tools out there. If you have a Facebook and an Instagram, for example, you know, probably two of the most important things to have mm-hmm. uh, as we have the meta business suite that which they just provide for you that is you can go in and schedule things in advance so if you have a little bit of time during the week you could go through and schedule a whole couple weeks or a month's worth of posts really right um, so you can save time that way and just have it dealt with and out of the way um, and, and just kind of maintain that presence online. So. That's that's a great suggestion, right? Is just go through and just set aside 20, 30 minutes each week and just schedule your posts, right? So that yep. way they can just go and you can get back to focusing on farming, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it, absolutely. And, and that's what people want to see too, is the farming, right? A lot of people that I talk to are like, man, what do people want to see from my social media feed, right? And, and it's just like, well, it's whatever you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Be, if you're out there feeding and you, <laughs> you're covered in mud, right? Whatever it looks like, um, the thing is it might be uh, banal to you, but it's novel and it's humanizing to your buyers and, and they want to see that. And to be that critical about, um, you know, putting the perfect thing on social media because that's not what this is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, farming can be dirty, right? Mm-hmm. And so getting to see the nitty gritty day to day, what it looks like, mm-hmm. uh, and and also certainly some of those serene experiences too, right? It's, yeah. There's both sides to it. People get into farming for a lot of reasons, but it's also valuable for buyers to feel connected to that experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like you yeah, said. Absolutely. Well, hey, I, I want to be respectful of everyone's time. I know many of the farmers who are listening today have uh, farm chores to go do themselves. Uh, so I really want to first off say thank you, Scott, for sharing your, your, yeah. your wisdom and your experience. That's 
been great to learn more about the top five tactics to prep for the coming season. And I would just encourage any farmer who wants to learn more uh, to go to the Barn to Door website. You can go to barndoor.com backslash resources, and you can access a wealth of free assets and other best practices for your farm. And so there's a whole litany of examples. If you're a protein farmer, a produce farmer, a dairy farmer, we have resources tailored for every type of farm that are available for you to read. Secondly, I also want to call out our Connect program. We have a set of farmers that are successful farmers, six and seven figure farmers in those different practices who can also talk with you and share what they've done, right? Because there's no silver bullet. Each farm is different. Mm-hmm. Every, every farm finds something that's going to work for them. But oftentimes we find wisdom comes from many counselors, having an opportunity to talk with other farmers like yourself who can give you candid feedback. So thank you for your time today, joining us on Direct Farm Podcast, and we hope you tune in next time. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. For more free farm resources, tips, and tactics that our most successful farms use to grow and manage their business, visit barndoor.com resources. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Direct Farm Podcast to automatically download our weekly episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.